The text for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, those beautiful first verses uh, of how God created. So if uh, it's a place where you feel comfortable standing, I would ask you to stand in honor of the Gospel lesson. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I love that incarnation story because it's such a different perspective. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to try that again. I love that reading from John because it's such a different perspective on the incarnation. It's a cosmic story of the birth of Jesus compared to the organic uh, gospels that have uh, barn and animals and shepherds, right? And so as I was thinking about this change in perspective, um, I wanted to share with you a short uh, reading Uh, This is a book of essays by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Frederick Buechner, and each, um, it's called Whistling in the Dark, and it's just short essays, and this one is on the earth. He writes that for thousands upon thousands of years, people couldn't see it whole, and much of the time, it was only what was between us and what we could view on the horizon, For most of us, the question of flatness or roundness must have seemed altogether irrelevant. Either way, it was plainly enormous. Beyond the fields and the mountains, there was the sea. And beyond the sea, there was more fields and more mountains. And whatever wild ideas that we have about how it came into being or who made it, We knew it had to have been around more or less forever. Just by looking at it, you can tell that the ancient rocks and the vast deserts, nothing less than God himself could ever bring it to an end. 
and it didn't seem to be in any special hurry about it. In the meanwhile, though time and change eventually carries off everyone and everything else, it is clear as anything that at least the place we were carried off to was forever. Spring would follow winter like the ebb and flow of the tides. Life in one odd shape or another would keep going on and on, the old ones dying and the new ones being born. Then suddenly pictures were taken from miles away and we saw it for what it truly is. From the moon, it looks like it's about the size of a dime. It is blue with swirls of silver and it shines. The blackness it floats in is so immense, it seems almost miraculously not to have swallowed it up long since. Beekner reminds us that so much of life is about perspective, that so often we only see what is right in front of us and clear to the horizon. The world was huge and limitless, but that all changed with the photos from the moon. All of a sudden, we saw the vast darkness, and it was so much bigger. The heavens outshone the little world that we stand on. Today, when we read the incarnation from the Gospel of John, we might have the memory that this is the scripture that we typically read on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we're usually making lists of all the things we have to do before we get up in the morning. And maybe we don't realize the incredible perspective and vastness of the text. The author of John doesn't spend any time in the smallness of our world. This story is one that is vast. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, or Logos, developed by the time of John's gospel into this understanding that the Christian message is life-giving and that it connects itself to the life-giving, creative extravagance of Genesis 1, where God speaks the world into existence. And Christ is one more extravagance by this God in these beautiful words in this story that connects us from Genesis 1 to the birth of Christ. They acknowledge this creative force of God in the beginning of time and in this radical new relationship with God through Jesus. Verse 16 said, From his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. My friends, that changes everything. And in case you do not remember the definition of grace, let me remind you, grace is the unmerited gift of God's love and forgiveness, which we cannot earn and we do not deserve. In the movie that has inspired this series, we glimpse the relationship between a father and a son, and a father and a son. 
The one that is about Lloyd is a painful, bitter, and angry relationship. And we don't know for most of the movie why Lloyd hates his father or why at his sister's wedding they ended up in a fist fight, which is the opening scene. And then later, almost through the movie, we hear that Lloyd's father cheated on his wife and abandoned his children in the midst of their mother's terminal illness. And Lloyd, our movie's main character, he cries out screaming to his father that his mother did not go quietly, calmly, that she screamed in pain at the end of her life. It is an ugly betrayal. The adult who should have protected the children and comforted them and cared for them runs away. And now Lloyd and his sister are adults and he has no room for grace with his father. Somehow, interviewing Fred Rogers helps Lloyd claim his anger and his brokenness because of this childhood trauma. And as Fred Rogers does so often, it's all about the feelings. He actually calls himself an archaeologist of feelings. And in the midst of that, Floyd, or Lloyd helps Mr. Rogers see why he's struggling in a relationship with one of his sons. Can you imagine having Mr. Rogers as a father? I mean, it's bad enough to have a pastor as a father, but to have Mr. Rogers as a father on TV every week, speaking to everyone's children. And Fred Rogers receives that almost criticism with grace, and he thanks Lloyd for helping him understand his son's perspective. And Lloyd says, you like people like me, I'm broken. And I love what Mr. Rogers says. He says, I've never met anyone like you before. I don't believe you are broken. I know you are a man of conviction, a person who knows the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Try to remember the relationship with your father also helped shape these parts of who you are. He helped you become what you are. This movie is described by the director of the movie as an episode of Mr. Rogers for Adults. It challenges us to consider our feelings, our relationships, and how we respond to other people. Like the scripture says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. We have talked about the prodigal son. We did a series for three weeks where we tried to get you to dive into that story. And we taught you that the word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. And you might think that Lloyd is the prodigal, but, but in the story, we taught you that it was the father who was wastefully extravagant, that he kept forgiving, kept loving, kept giving of his abundance to his son. And I couldn't help but think, Mr. Rogers is wastefully extravagant. He is 
wastefully extravagant with his time. And we see it in the movie because they're always delayed in their shooting and the, the crew complains that they're never on time because Fred has to visit with every person that comes to see him. Mr. Rogers is wastefully extravagant with his feelings, the way he shares them and allows them, even listening to Lloyd's criticism of him. Mr. Rogers is wastefully extravagant with his patience. There's a classic, classic video of him trying to put together a tent for like seven minutes and he never gets it up and he never says a bad word or yells at anybody. And Mr. Rogers is wastefully extravagant in grace to those that others deem unworthy of love or value, like Lloyd's dad. You might even say that Mr. Rogers is Christ-like because Jesus teaches us all of these same valuable lessons about love and grace and forgiveness in the way he interacts with the world. Jesus hung out with those who were deemed unworthy by the culture and the church. He invites those into the inner circle who are different. Jesus values women and children. He is patient. He is kind. He receives criticism with love. All the time while trying to ground and manage his humanity. We see glimpses of his humanity when he is frustrated, when he gets angry, when he's impatient. So why do we love Mr. Rogers? Because we see the light of Christ in him. This wastefully extravagant light shining into the vast and cosmic darkness. We see Christ in him. My very favorite scene in the movie is one where they are sitting in the diner and they're talking about all of these things. And Mr. Rogers says to him that I want you to think for one minute of silence all of the people that have loved us into being. And in the movie, they go silent. And you discover that people all around them are listening to Mr. Rogers. And the whole diner goes silent. And they sit together in the midst of that, considering of all the people that have loved us into being. I want to show you a clip of the real Mr. Rogers as he receives an Emmy for the Lifetime Achievement Award. He is in front of a glittering audience of movie stars and larger-than-life personalities, yet they quiet down, they listen, and some of them even weep. Ladies and gentlemen, the best neighbor any of us has ever had, Fred Rogers.
for giving generation upon generation of children confidence in themselves, for being their friend, for telling them again and again and again that they are special and that they have worth. It is my honor on behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here, some are far away, some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. Now, I want all of you at home to take 10 seconds and think about the creatively extravagant God who loved you into being who pours into you life and fills your glass overflowing over and over again. I'll keep the time. I hope that you remember in these difficult times that God's vastness is huge and abundant. In the last few months, we feel like we have lost so much, but a change in perspective is what has happened. A new normal, a different way to do things, but some things have not changed at all. God loves us finds us valuable and knows that we have worth. In a world that sometimes scares us to, into believing that there is never enough, it is important to step back and change our perspective to remember all of the ones who have loved us into being. 
we are loved and forgiven and valued. And we must cling to this reality as people who live our lives with glasses that are overflowing. Some things are limitless and timeless and abundant. Amen.